0: Oh good morning again and welcome to Trinity. It is a joy to be able to gather together even if we come tired and worn down or worn out uh, here we are and we're singing and we're praying and we're coming to the word. If you have a Bible please open up your Bible to Job chapter 28. I know for the past couple of weeks we've considered big blocks of Job as we've been interacting with Job and in his interaction with his friends. Today, we're slowing down and we're looking at just one chapter. Something changes here in Job 28, and it's important that we take the time to look at it. As you're turning there, I want to share with you about something a friend of mine went through that is relatable to Job. On Friday, July 18, 2008, Officer Andrew Widman was shot and killed as he responded to a domestic dispute outside a restaurant at approximately 2 in the morning. Andy was 30, a husband, and a father to three. At the time of his death, he was in the midst of raising support to go to Thailand as a missionary. Andy was the brother in law of a dear, close friend of mine, a friend since high school, you would say a best friend, named Joe. Joe is also a pastor, and he was pastoring at the time of Andy's death. He was leading a three year old church plant back in Ohio. This death hit Joe hard and the responsibilities that he had as this lead church planter felt all the more heavy. Especially so because the extended Widman family attended the church plant. And as Joe felt the weight of all of those things, it sent him spiraling down into a two-year battle with debilitating depression. As he tried to shoulder his own grief and shepherd people through that, family members even, it began to take a demanding toll. He lost 35, 40 pounds. He was always fatigued. He had continual chest pains and regular panic attacks that would end with uncontrollable fits of dry heaving. He could barely function, let alone shepherd a church plant and a grieving people. Over that two year window, Joe emotionally withdrew, physically suffered, and felt about as far away from God as you could possibly be. Reflecting on this, Joe described it this way I felt like God didn't love me. I seriously considered quitting. I had never been more upset with God, and I was deeply bothered on all the whys of my brother-in-law being killed. Job's or Joe's questions, like that of Job, weren't answered. But Joe began to see the loving patience of God at work in him. The very God he felt far from, the very God he was mad at, was the very God that he needed. And in small and steady and very slow and very incremental ways, God was at work. Through all of Joe's doubts and his pain and his fears, there were small glimmers of hope. Joe came to understand that God wasn't done with him just yet. It's hard to make sense of suffering. We lack the wisdom and understanding to make sense of that which makes no sense. And this can spiral us into all sorts of emotional and physical and spiritual turmoil. But what if there was a wisdom that could give us needed bearings? in the midst of such struggles, amid suffering, amid pain, amid loss? What if there was a wisdom that sort of served as a north star in the midst of such a storm? Well, let's turn our attention to a very pivotal moment in the book of Job, Job chapter 28. We're going to consider the whole chapter, but we're going to just start with the last words, And we'll read all of the words before we're done. But we're going to start with verse 20 and read to the end of the chapter this morning. Job 28, verse 20. From where then does wisdom come? And where is the place of understanding? It is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the air. Abaddon and death say we have heard a rumor of it with our ears. God understands the way to it and he knows its place. For he looks to the ends of the earth and he sees everything under the heavens. When he gave the wind its weight and apportioned the waters by measure, when he made a decree by the rain and a way for the lightning of the thunder, then he saw it and declared it. He established it and searched it out. And he said to man, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil his understanding. Let's pray. God, as we consider this pivotal chapter in the book of Job, as we consider it in light of our thoughts around suffering and sovereignty, God, we pray that you would be with us and help us to take and glean and apply to our hearts. God, some of us desperately need this sort of encouragement, and we pray that it would be real and present with us in some way, small or large, this day to your glory and to our good. In Christ's name, amen. Because of our inability to make sense of suffering, we ultimately have nowhere else to turn but to God. And we can say that in such a way that sounds like, yeah, we've got it all figured out, but we can also say that in such a way that's really hard and challenging because we have to turn to the one we feel very far from. That's a pickle. And Job chapter 8 is helping us walk through that pickle, that challenge. And it's a challenge that brings us to the reality of the painful hope of wisdom. It's an interesting way to put it, the painful hope of wisdom. And as we consider the painful hope of wisdom, as we're going to walk through this poem of Job, in Job chapter 28, we're going to find three things to wrestle with and to think about as we wrestle with the idea of this hope that we can find in wisdom even though it might be painful. And the first is that we have a great aspiration, mankind, people. We, we, we can do great things. We can accomplish great things. We can understand marvelous things. But we can't figure this out, this thing of suffering. And that brings us into the reality of a painful problem. And then from that, we'll return to where we had just read and find our only resolution. So let's start with our great aspiration. First of all, we're trying to make sense of something that makes no sense. And let's reconnect quickly with Job. Job is struggling with his senseless suffering because he doesn't understand why God has allowed it. He lost his family. He lost his means of livelihood. He's lost his health and it's come out of nowhere and it's come in short order. And he's, he's been wrecked and he has no bearings and no idea why this has happened and he's struggling with the suffering he's struggling with struggling with suffering so maybe that's relatable to not only struggle in something that you're suffering but to struggle with the fact that you're struggling to make sense of the very thing that you're suffering that's job as we said last week he's despair he's in despair he despairs his life he despairs god's absence he despairs god's presence he's despairing we also mentioned last week he's questioning. He, he's questioning his circumstances. They're so severe. He questions God's role and God's rule. And he's confused. And his turmoil has heightened the complexity of God's sovereignty. He's believing yet not understanding. In a sense, he's bewildered. Not only that, he's surrounded by comforters who he calls tormentors. Job's friends show up to help answer the why question. And the answer they give to his why is that you've sinned, Job. And Job's response is, no, I didn't. God is unfair. And back and forth they went from Job chapter 4 through Job chapter 27. At which point, Job just shuts it down. It brings us to the reality is how do we make sense of what makes no sense? And Job chapter 28 sits differently, especially in light of where we've been in Job's friends and his responses to one another. The tone of Job 28 changes. And he addresses the problem of trying to make sense of something that doesn't make any sense with a poem, a poem that can be broken down into three parts and then a word from the Lord at the very end. So our first part is is looking at, at the world around us and at our place in it and realize that we, as people created in the image of God, have great aspiration, but it comes at a costly search. That he looks around and he sees mankind's ability to search and find valuable things, it actually sets us up for an even greater frustration. Let's look at the first 11 verses of Job chapter 28. Job chapter 28, verse 1. Surely there is a mine for silver, and a place for gold that they refine. Iron is taken out of the earth and copper is smelted from the core. Man puts an end to darkness and searches out to the farthest limit, the ore in gloom and deep darkness. He opens shafts in a valley away from where anyone lives. They are forgotten by travelers. They hang in the air far from mankind. They swing to and fro. As for the earth, out of it comes bread, but underneath it is turned up as by fire. Its stones are the places of sapphires and it has dust of gold. That path no bird of prey knows, and the falcon's eye has not seen it. The proud beasts have not trodden it. The lion has not passed over it. Man puts his hand to the flinty rock and overturns mountains by the roots. He cuts channels in the rocks, and his eyes see every precious thing. He dams up the streams so that they do not trickle. The thing that is hidden he brings out to light. So he looks around and he sees mankind has the ability to find things of great value and worth and enduring great costs to find them. Mankind can do these amazing things and make sense of marvelous mysteries and yet in the midst of it struggle to understand the why. Well, take the word picture that he gives of miners and mining. It's a visual picture of the ingenuity in the face of great cost. In the ancient Near East era, and Job's day, miners were ingenious. They created a rope and pulley system to be suspended in deep, dark caves while they were on the hunt for jewels and precious metals. It was lonely and difficult and dark and dangerous work. Verse 4 again. He opens shafts in a valley away from where anyone lives. They are forgotten by travelers. They hang in the air, far away from mankind. They swing to and fro referencing something that was incredible. They would do this and pull out precious things. And what Job does here in doing this is he takes a know-how strength of mankind, turns it on the head to reveal a know-why weakness. We can do these things, but we can't understand life and its mysteries, especially that of suffering. All of our advancements in philosophy Geopolitical relationships, technology, industry, can't answer that base, raw question, why? And as technology advances, we are less happy being human. We can do and find and create marvelous things. We can't answer the why. Commentator Chris Ash put it this way, Job is not just suffering. He is searching desperately and in great loneliness to understand the answer to the question, why? And the book of Job is not about achievement and ability and argument. It's about a believer suffering in this world and desperately seeking answers for that suffering. Desperately seeking understanding that he can apply to his life like a balm to a wound. And he can't find it. And the wound hurts all the more as he searches. Is that something that characterizes you now? Have, are you able to look back in your life and think of times in which that described you? which you are searching for something to heal a wound that just worsened as you searched all the more? Did you look to things around you, advancements in technology and thought and philosophy, the advancements that we make as a people, and find them empty, making the wound hurt? Well, that brings us into the reality that our great aspirations and abilities only heighten our painful problem. And the painful problem that this poem brings out is that that which we're searching for cannot be found. Wisdom is the answer, and wisdom is what can't be found. Let's look at verses 12 through 22 of Job chapter 28. Job 28 verse 12. But where shall wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its worth. And it is not found in the land of the living. The deep says, it is not in me. And the sea says, it is not with me. And it cannot be bought for gold. And silver cannot be weighed as its price. It cannot be valued in gold of Ophir. Or in precious onyx or sapphire, gold and glass cannot equal it, nor can it be exchanged for jewels of fine gold. No mention shall be made of coral, of crystal. The price of wisdom is above pearls. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it, nor can it be valued in pure gold. From where then does wisdom come and where is the place of understanding? It is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the air. Abaddon and death say, we have heard a rumor of it with our ears. The kind of wisdom that Job is on, on the search for, the kind of understanding that he's longing for, brings up, uh, that he brings up are of greater worth and value than all can be grasped and achieved by mankind's ingenuity. He's longing for the kind of wisdom and understanding and perspective that will make sense of his life. He's longing for this wisdom. Well, what is wisdom? Well, basic wisdom is the ability to apply truth to a particular situation. That's wisdom. It's to be able to to apply to your situation the things needed. We can have various levels of wisdom that apply to various levels of situations. But the problem here is that there is no human wisdom that applies to the situation of making sense of suffering that makes no sense. Nothing can be found. Human wisdom doesn't have the depth nor the scope for such a situation. And this poem that that Job constructs in Job chapter 28 carries within it a very interesting structure within the poem. It's like a literary beacon, shining a spotlight on the problem, just to put it up on the screen to see it. In verses twelve through fourteen, the call is 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 devastating. Wisdom cannot be found. Then verses fifteen through nineteen, wisdom must be found. And then the bookend thought is, wisdom cannot be found. You need this sort of wisdom to make sense of the why. You need it. You're not going to find it. But it's amazing. It's incredible. Its value is inestimable. You, you would, it would, it's greater than everything combined. But you're not going to be able to find it. You're not going to be able to find it. <coughs> Imagine this as a dialogue. This is a sort of wisdom uh, is needed to answer the why. And it is of supreme worth. In fact, you don't really know how supremely valuable it is. Great, where can I find this wisdom? Um, I don't know. It's nowhere. It's hidden from us it's like in a whole different universe we can do great things amazing things i might be slightly exaggerating but i think our smartphones have more processing power than the computers use to put man on the moon but we can't make sense of suffering that makes no sense we can find jewels Precious metals in deep, dark, dangerous places. And we can take one small step on the surface of the moon, but we can't find the understanding needed to apply to life's struggles and mysteries. We can't find the balm to the wound that hurts. Deuteronomy 29.29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But we look around and we think we can scale the wall and see what only God possesses. And it hurts when we realize we can't. We need wisdom, but we can't find it. What a painful problem that makes a painful suffering all the more painful. What can be done? And that's where this poem goes. It sets us up to feel the pain of not knowing the why in order to lead us to that which we need the most. Our only resolution. And with apologies to the Beach Boys, God only knows. The Beach Boys were a band. Uh, sorry. All right. some, some may not know. No. The only answer is God knows where this wisdom is. But that's an almost answer. That's an almost answer verses 23 through 27, it's an almost answer. It's close to it. Look again. God understands the way to it, and he knows its place. For he looks to the ends of the earth, and he sees everything under the heavens. When he gave the wind its weight and appointed, apportioned the waters by measure, when he made a decree for the rain and a way for the lightning of the thunder, then he saw it and declared it, he established it, and he searched it out. God knows where it is and we are directed to him but we still feel this enormous gulf between us and our suffering and this God who is sovereign. It kind of it kind of makes us like a weatherman or weatherwoman in New England. So they they know they have the tools to understand pressure and fronts and how they all converge and work together and, and they can see it all sort of taking shape. And then they can tell us, this is where it's heading. So on Tuesday, you should probably prepare for a winter storm. And they tell you on the freeway with the little signs that say, plan ahead, winter storm coming. And then Tuesday, it's just a light dusting, right? <laughs> yeah. Or like a few weeks ago in January, no one's talking about anything related to anything weather. And then, hey, here's a wide-out blinding snow squall situation. It's like being a weatherman in New England. You've kind of have some bearings. You kind of have a sense of things. And yet, it just doesn't make any sense. And so we have a sense of things when we say, God knows. But we still aren't quite sure. And that's why this little postscript at the end of the poem is so important. Verse 28. Let's look at that again. And he, God, said to man, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to turn away from evil is understanding. God has not spoken since Job chapter 2. This is the first word from God, and it anticipates the fuller word we will get at the end of Job. And our response to this verse can be a little like a spiritual Rorschach test, kind of seeing where we are and what we will project on it. We can look at this verse and gain bearings as we consider the verse. Or or we can look at this verse and, and deepen in despair, feeling like God is distant and absent and uncaring. But the verse serves as a jolt from God. The jolt from this response of God is to waken us to see that we won't get what we want, we will get what we need. Again, from Christopher Ash, we ask, why doesn't God answer my question? Has anybody asked that? Thought it? Felt it? To which he replies, turn your gaze and your inquiry away from the answer you want and toward the God you must see. He says, the fear of the Lord this is wisdom. So, I've noted along the way, Job is in a part of the Old Testament that is wisdom literature, like Proverbs and Psalms and Ecclesiastes and Song of Songs. Job is in that context. That's where Job rests, and so it is helping us to, to see the kind of wisdom needed in life. When we think of Ecclesiastes, we're trying to think of like how to make sense of life in a world that doesn't quite satisfy the soul. When we think of the Psalms, you think of the entire human experience. When you think of Song of Songs, you think of the most important relationship that you could have with another human being. When you think of Proverbs, you just think of general wisdom for all of the ups and downs of life. Well, Job is in there and it plays a role. It's helping us to have a sense of wisdom for the moments in which life doesn't make any sense and deep suffering hits. Fear of the Lord is a a common refrain in wisdom literature. Fear of the Lord means a reverent, obedient relationship with God lived out in practical ways. A reverent, obedient relationship with God lived out in practical ways. And reverent and obedient, it's it's looking at God and saying, God, you are worthy. You're worthy of my life. You're worthy of my heart. You're worthy of my devotion. You're worthy of, of this. In a relationship, you realize that God is graciously brought you into a relationship with him through faith. And then lived out practically, you're saying through faith that God is worthy, that God is also indeed worth it. And so the, the the surgical care that Job is coming to us in poetry form is saying that through faith we can say, even amid suffering, God is worthy and God is worth it. And Job gets there, even amid Despairing, questioning, and struggling to understand, which I hope is a comfort to you. I hope that you are comforted by the fact that Job despairs and Job questions and Job struggles, and yet it is still a part of this process of him, through faith, saying God is worthy and God is worth it, even if he is mad at God. Now, it comes with attention because. We could feel this the entirety of our lives. We could feel the challenge of this, especially when the suffering is deep and the effects of it are long-lasting. Eric Orland captured that when he says this. How can we join Job in his happy ending of profound comfort and trust in God? Chapter 42, 5, and 6. Especially when the very nature of a Job-like ordeal is one in which we wonder if we can ever trust God the same way again. You feel the weight of that. I am so thankful that Job is in the Bible. That God has given this to us. It's not answering our whys, but it is giving us bearings in the midst of all of our whys. And it's directing us to the very God we feel far from, we feel absent, that we that we might even dread, or that we're angry at it. And it's God graciously, graciously saying, "Come to me." This is wisdom. I am worthy, and I am worth it. Now, finding this sort of wisdom is. Di- Certainly a journey. And Scripture unfolds that journey for us. You can think of Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 8. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. Some of you have those words etched into your mind and into your heart. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. The ultimate outcome of the fear of the Lord kind of wisdom is healing and refreshment. Maybe as you continue that journey of trying to find this wisdom you come across Jeremiah chapter 9 23 and 24 that says thus says the lord let the wise man not boast in his wisdom let the mighty man boast not, not the mighty man boast in his might let not the rich man boast in his riches but let him who boasts boast in this that he understands and knows me that i am the lord who practices steadfast love and justice and righteousness in the earth for in these things i delight declares the Lord. Maybe you can take those passages and you feel the positive motivation from them, but they're also applicable in the midst of despair, in the midst of questioning, in the midst of confusion. Those words still ring true and they still are relevant. But you may have no bearings of where you are in this struggle. You may be fogged over, and you can't see but 10 feet in front of you and you have no idea which direction you're going if you're going anywhere maybe you're just going in circles and you can feel this way in the midst of all the various things that we can suffer and we can suffer in different ways we can suffer similar kinds of incidences or events or or experiences but but we We suffer them differently. So some events might feel more heavy on others than us. Or vice versa. And that can go through all of life. And we may think, I want to trust in you with all my heart and not lean on my own understanding. But I don't know, up and down. And we might say, sure, I'm not going to boast in what I do have. But I don't have anything and you feel far. So how can I boast in you? Well... Don't stop there in that journey for this sort of wisdom. Go one more step. First Corinthians chapter one, Paul says the foolishness of the of the cross. The preaching of the cross is foolishness to this world. But this is where true wisdom is. In chapter one, verses thirty and thirty-one. We're culminating in this argument that the Apostle Paul is saying in this opening chapter. He says, and because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. Who became to us wisdom from God. Righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul addresses two groups of people. One group of people demanded a sign for life's great mysteries. Another group of people demanded logical explanation for those ministries. And Paul says, neither of those things. Instead, he points them to the cross to see there is where wisdom, this sort of wisdom we need, is on full display. There at the cross. To all our longing, painful, despairing questions of where are you, or uh, how long, or why, God reveals His wisdom ultimately, most incredibly, in the person and work of His Son, Jesus. Who entered into our humanity, into our world, the author of life, entering into our world, taking on our skin and bones... Living out a life in which he experienced immeasurable amounts of temptation. He experienced overwhelming suffering that you and I, no matter how great the suffering we experience in this life, will not experience anything like what Christ did. Who did that on purpose, with great compassion, moved to compassion. And love of his father and love of his people endured it all, despising its shame. He did it out of joy. He took on the worst. There, wisdom of God on display. He became to us the wisdom of God. He became to us the bearings, the anchor. The means of hope in the midst of hopeless situations. He took on sin. All of it. All of ours, all of his people. Every ounce of it. He took it all on his shoulders. He took on the consequences of sin. The judgment of God and death. And when he reigned, when he rose victorious... When he came up out of the grave, he came up victorious over the very things, over the very whys that will always be unanswered, the very how longs, the very how, where are yous, the very struggle with our own sin and the struggle with sin in this broken world. He rose victorious over it all. There is where we look and find. It comes in the most unexpected of places. It was a dark and dangerous place, that cross. But light won the day. We may not get all our questions on suffering answered. But the answer we get in the cross is what we need. God is not unfamiliar with your suffering and God is not uncaring. Sometimes they may feel that way. And you may feel guilty for thinking that way. But in those very moments, look to the cross where your God and your Savior went and endured the darkest of days to give you the greatest of grace. Give you bearings in the midst of your storms. Your storms of suffering and of loss, depression or anxiety, deep wounds. Never feel like they'll heal. Look to the cross. How can we trust God in a Job-like ordeal? Trusting the cross is how. While you and I may lack the wisdom and ability to make sense of suffering, we do have a God who is steadfast in his love. He is righteous and he is just and he delights to make this known. And he does so most vividly at the cross where his wisdom is on display for all to see and embrace through faith. And may that be to you a balm. Now, or it will be a balm for you Forever. Let us hope in that. God, we ask that you would do just that. That you would help us to see your provision of this wisdom. A wisdom we can't find on our own, but a wisdom you displayed at the cross. And may that be to our souls a balm. One great and glorious day, that same Jesus will come back and say, I'm making all things new. Until that day, may you strengthen us. May he care for us. May he continue to intercede for us. And may that give us bearings slowly, incrementally, steadily. May we know that you are not done with us just yet either. We pray in Christ's name, amen.